Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So I stumbled onto Vion films. Uh, sounds like uh, or looks like villain films when it's read sort of without the accent. Uh, but uh, Peter Davis, uh, founder of Vion films, he's been in- independently producing and, and distributing movies since 1970. And you've got to check uh, Vion films out. V i l l o n films.ca. Check them out online. Peter, Peter's a guy who's coming to the end of his career, but he's still got a lot of uh, passion and intention and desire to make movies. He's been uh, directing and producing and writing for many, many years. He's got an archive of over 250 films on his website, produced and directed about uh, 70 all in. And we're talking about issues stuff, CBC, CTV, BBC, CBS, NBC, uh, the list goes on. Um, you may have not heard of Peter before, but you should have. Uh, check out some of his work online and listen in carefully because we talk about an awful lot here in this interview. And we talk about interpretation and about truth and about the power of storytelling. Yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Uh, don't forget to check out davidpecklive.com for more interviews. Check out uh, check us out also on rabble.ca and stay tuned for, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a storyteller, stay tuned. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a filmmaker today, a man by the name of Peter Davis. Uh, Peter, thank you for joining us today. Oh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, you are the founder of Villain Films. Tell tell me about Villain. You've been around a long time, uh, and it's Villain spelled V-I-L-L-O-N, VillainFilms.ca. Definitely check them out online. Um, yeah. yeah, tell me tell me about that. Uh, All right, that name came about too. I I did a lot of work with. Uh, uh, Barry Callahan, do you know that name? I, I don't, no. Oh, Barry is, uh, is I think, is he Canada's national poet? Anyway, he's a, he's a poet and uh, professor, and he worked for CBC okay. one time, and we did some work together. And uh, since we set up a company at that time, it was really only the two of us, Okay. we wanted a name, so Barry suggested... Uh, 
the Rome actually Villon, François Villon, Villon, which is named after uh, a French, famous French poet. Okay. So there's no reason to get rid of the name, kept the name. Ah, okay. And do you find most people like myself mispronounce it? Yes. <laughs> That's funny. In North America. In North America. There or in you North go. America, west of Ontario. So when I read your when I read your sort of your bio about Vion Films uh, and you're currently you're located out west you're in Vancouver you've been you've been working on award winning films since 1970 you've got an incredible a vast library um, what do you what do you sort of put your success up to I mean it's that that's this is this is this is quite the library of film you've got well. Success, I'm not sure if that's, if that's the right word. How do you measure success? If yes. you measure it by income, then it's not, not very spectacular. Right. Um, but in, the, in terms of doing things that I wanted to do, uh, up until, let's say, the 90s, it, it, did, it did work. In, in those days, I always used to think that, okay, this is documentary filmmaking, it can't get any worse, and, and it, it did. It got worse <laughs> year oh, by year. It got worse until oh, kind of strangulation in the in the nineties. A revival in, in in this century, of course. Sure. Documentary filmmaking, uh, because of the ready accessibility of equipment, uh, of of cheap equipment. Sure. Cheap and good quality equipment. So, but now I'm at the point where uh, I think I've always made films for myself primarily, hmm. pleased myself primarily. And now what I'm doing, uh, and, and those I don't think any longer because of style, perhaps, uh, because of the kind of things I do, they're no longer in demand. So mm. what I'm trying to do essentially is finish up some unfinished projects uh, before I, I die or before I become incapacitated in some other way. So that's what I'm working on right now. So this is a pro uh, you're working on a project. You say you're going away tomorrow. You're, you're working on a project that you started X amount of years ago, and you're just kind of bringing those finally those loose ends together. Is that is that sort of what you're referring to? Yes, I've got three or four projects similar to that, unfinished projects, which I which now I can do. I, in those days, of course, you had to raise the money. Right. You had to get film, pay for film, which is enormously expensive. Um, you know, I shot a number. I'm done. I, I started a film in 1981 on the Spanish Civil War. Hmm. I couldn't get any money for it at that time, and now I'm, I'm finishing it just in time for, the, I think, the 80th anniversary at the commencement of the Spanish Civil War and uh, almost, uh, almost 40 years after I started. Right, right, so, right. But it, that, too, is near completion. So. Oh, fantastic. So, so, Peter, do you, as a filmmaker, do you make the distinction between a, a, a good film, uh, or, or, sorry, a distinction between, say, a great film versus an important film, or would you kind of oh. call them the same thing? Huh. I mean, I look at I look at your 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 page here, and I believe it says two 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 hundred and fifty five films that you've uh, worked on, uh, curated, directed, written, produced, etc. Um, you've you've. Um, well, it could be well be more than that. Seventy I've I've directed. Okay. Seventy plus, I suppose. But I've also worked as cameraman, editor, sure. on a. On a uh, number of others. I would I would imagine. So so do you make do you make that distinction? I mean I look at what you're you've been about for the past X amount of years and and I think I think important. I think um social justice, I think mm. pol politics, I think extreme poverty, I think um you know issues that need to be talked about not just in the classroom. Yeah. 
Well, social problems have, I think, been in the forefront. Uh, search for social justice, I think, which is ever elusive. Is ever elusive. Yes. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, the films that I've made, I would not say they're great films, but they have been useful films. I'm thinking of my, hmm. my apartheid series. Mm-hmm. And I had the wonderful experience some years ago I was in South Africa, and I met a man. He was driving me somewhere, and this is in Cape Province. He was driving me somewhere for a meeting, and we'd never really spoken before, and we started chatting, and he asked me what I did. I said, I make films, and he asked me what films I made, and I mentioned Generations of Resistance as one of them, which was about the the uh, indigenous anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, and he said, oh, we use that all the time. I mean, when he was a student in South Africa, in apartheid South Africa, that film was one of their one of wow. the films that they used. And that, that I think, was the... Um, the supreme point of my of my career. That's got to be pretty incredible. So this was, did you say this was a cab driver? I'm sorry. Did you what? Who was the person that you had bumped into? Well, he was actually an academic. Oh, uh, he was an academic. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm he sorry. He was a student. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and no, I mean, he's a, you know, he has not, he's not actually not an academic academic high standing, but that's not here nor there. Uh, but as I said, it, it was it was not a great film, but it was a useful film. I think. Right. Right. Is, so you know you, you you said earlier that you made these films for yourself. What yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Especially well, in light of especially in light of this story. Me. I mean, I think in order to be, I, I don't I don't consider myself a great film a great filmmaker. I've made hmm. some very good films, I think, but I'm not a great filmmaker. Hmm. Uh, and I think to be a great filmmaker, you have to be obsessive. And I mm. I'm not obsessive. Okay, if if a subject if I can't get a subject going, then I will go on to another one that I can get going. Hmm. Okay, but I do. I I know of filmmakers who produce wonderful films, but it's taken them, taken them ten years in the making, uh, and they really have to have to be terribly dogged about it. Sure, sure. Um, so, but uh, but for me, there's so many things that interest me that I I can, not necessarily willingly, but but uh, be prepared to go on to another film if something doesn't work out. But at the same time, I don't like to leave, like to leave things unfinished. So that, as, as I say, the things that I never did finish, I'm trying to finish now. So, so, so do you, so do you refer to yourself as a storyteller in conversation? Is that how oh, you? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. First and foremost, I think. So tell me about that, because I, I mean, I, I've just come off the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. I, I uh, approached them this year. I was fortunate enough over the past few years to get the odd interview here and there with a the filmmaker. A um, couple of actors along the way, I suppose. A couple of producers as well, television and film. And then this year I went after media accreditation, which I got to my surprise. Mm. I ended up interviewing about 21 different uh, filmmakers, mm. most of them documentarians. Mm-hmm. And a question that I like to ask about this whole idea of story is because I think, you know, as a philosopher, I think that story kind of points to truth. And I'm not always that interested in whether or not the story is actually true. <laughs> does that well, make yes, it, does uh, that make any sense? Well, of course it does. But I mean, what is truth? So you, you're left with, you're left with that that question, aren't you? Indeed. Uh, what constitutes truth? Uh, there is no such thing as a universal truth, is there? There's no, there's no, no such thing that, as something that satisfies everyone as being true. So. 
what I what I do is my interpretation, not necessarily of a truth, hmm. but of something I find of interest. Uh, I'm not sure if that's satisfactory. It certainly doesn't satisfy me when I'm saying it. <laughs> So, um, so it's your, in, so it's your, inter so, so let's, let's talk about this for a second. It's your interpretation of these particular events, like apartheid, yes. for instance, as they unfold uh, or as you as they unfold before my camera, of course. Yes. Uh, which is, which as you know, is, is itself an interpretation of, of a reality. It's not the reality. It's not a, a universal reality. It's just what, <laughs> just what I choose to select when I point my camera. Um... And then how how I shoot? Right. Yeah. And so in a sense, everything you do is kind of an edit, like is an editorial choice of a particular. Yes, but then that, that was certainly much more the case when we were shooting sixteen millimeter film, hmm. because uh, you know I was thinking, okay, this hmm. this ten ten minute reel of film costs five hundred dollars. Right. Okay. I ha therefore have to edit as I'm shooting. Right. Right. Uh, and that. That is the huge difference between the way we worked in the in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, and the way people work today. And is that was that primarily primarily cost essentially? What what? Just cost? Oh sure, Just absolutely. Incredibly expensive. Therefore, we can't afford to waste it. Of course, yes, yes, yes. Huh. yes. And you may have to make judgments as you're going along, and sometimes those judgments are wrong. Okay, you switch off the camera because right. you think nothing's going to happen and something's happening, you're and, not on. Okay, so the, the, that, that was the situation. On the other hand, what, what, ha what can happen now is you get enormous amount of footage and the process of editing must be therefore <laughs> that much harder. Yeah. I, I mean, when, when, we started shooting, when you started shooting a film, you really had to have a, a concrete idea of what it's going to look like when you're finished. Right. And that's not necessarily the case now. Did you did you start out as a as a sort of a classical journalist working for a news no, agency? No, no, no. I started. Well, I, my first my first job was uh, as a teacher after I started working uh, part time in in, uh, in a hospital, uh, trundling things around in a hospital. Well, I started as a teacher. Okay. So I taught for for a couple of years, and then I then I started in the lowest possible level of filmmaking in Britain at that time. <laughs> that strikes was, me as kind of funny. Which was an uh, apprentice assistant editor. Apprentice? Okay, you could not go lower than that. Hang on. You were an apprentice assistant editor. editor. You weren't even an assistant, <laughs> but you were learning to be an assistant. Oh, editor. that's very funny, actually. Yes. I can uh, imagine the paycheck was wasn't I mean, that great. I'm sorry? I can imagine the paycheck wasn't that great, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me think now. I think I first. Uh, I think it was only seven pounds a week. Seven pounds a week. Yes. Um, which was <laughs> maybe enough to get by on in those days, but not right, too much right, further than right. that. Uh, one thing I'm going to digress to. Yeah, please. Because I think it is important, and that is I. Uh, I have a fairly substantial amount of of completed film. Um, I also have an archive, which is, which is lodged at the moment at Indiana University, of outtakes. Are you familiar with that term? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
So that's the material that did not go into the film. Sure. And uh, that, over the years, has in, has in a sense been my, my lifesaver, because as you get older, as the material gets older, it becomes, it becomes historically more important. Sure. And the material that you didn't put into, into a project can now be just as important as what you did put in. Okay. So the stuff I, I shot on, uh, on the anti-war movement in the United States in the, in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, that, that is to a large degree my bread and butter now. Things like that, you know. What? And that stock footage, I sell that stock footage. The oh. stock footage sells for about $40 a second. Uh, yes, $40 a second, depending on who you're selling it to. And uh, you can imagine, you can make a make a few good sales that way. Yeah. So, so you're probably wishing that you'd spent more more of those five hundred dollar reels now today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't because it wasn't. You know, there was a budget. The budget yeah, of came, course. Came from somewhere else, and you could not spend more than that unless it came out of your own pocket. You could not spend more than that amount. So, I mean, we didn't. We, we always shot as much as we were supposed to, or maybe a little bit extra, but not too much extra. So, so you're the apprentice assistant editor. Um, are you thinking at that point that you're going to go on to make these uh, 70 films? No, at that point, I, I think I felt I was going to be a, a scriptwriter. Oh, okay. And whatever happened, I, I'm really glad that I did not do that. I mean, I've written, of course, I write documentary scripts all, all the time. But this was, this was fiction, fiction right. films. I'm right. glad I did not go into fiction films. Hmm. Uh, the few times I've been on a feature film team have been among the most boring in my life. You spend a lot of time doing nothing. Okay? And that, that doesn't suit me at all. A lot of hurry up and wait. Uh, yes. I mean, the larger the crew is, the more, more spare time you have, so I couldn't stand that. So I'm glad I never did that. I'm glad I never became a scriptwriter because I don't think I would have been a very good scriptwriter. Um, fi- fiction, anyway. So, I mean, is that is that a place to start for filmmakers today? You know, you, you, you mentioned... <laughs> Apprentices. Yeah, you, I mean, no, you... I get, I get or, or let's say the lowest rung of the ladder. Is that the place you should... I'm an apprentice. I'm an electrician. I, I did 8,500 hours as a... You By know, no as means. A, I mean, you know, I, 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 I give lectures at university, and students mm-hmm. sometimes say to me, well, well, how should we get into film? Yeah. Well, well study law, you know. Uh, Interesting. Why should you start at the bottom when you can start at the top? Right. You know? So, I mean, lawyers, lawyers run the business now. Of course, they're not cre- creators as other, other than creators of money. And, right, right. Uh, but uh, well, that, that's all important, yeah. Does that, does that sort of, does it disappoint you a little bit, would you say, you know, having been in this business for so many years, that, that it seems to be more of a business today? It's about maybe not documentary filmmaking so much, but... Just the, the the big business that it's become, you know. I uh, I yeah. was somebody texted me a note the other day and said they've they spent forty six million dollars wrecking cars in the new James Bond film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How absurd is that? What could a documentarian do with forty six million dollars? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was, let me see. What can I say there? I mean, you know, the, what what's important for me is that. Is that well, okay. In the old days, let's say I could go. I could go to CBC with an idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
I may not even have to write it down. I just say, look, I, uh, this is the idea. And they, say, and they would say, God, this, so I'm talking about doing something for weekend, for example, if you remember weekend days. I don't know if you're... I don't know. Okay, you're too, too young for that. That's right. <laughs> okay, you could go to weekend, which is, which is exactly what it was, a weekend program of, of short documentaries, uh, and, uh, and give them an idea. And they, and they would say, yes, on the strength of what you had done before, right? Right, right, sure. And you could do it. I mean, the budget would be limited. Uh, you would not make a huge amount of money, but you could certainly do it. Nowadays, you know, try to do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's absolutely impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Um, they have this thing now which they call the pitch. Right. You may have heard that term. Yes. And I absolutely hate that. I, I, would, I would never submit myself to a pitch uh, because what happens there is you're, you're, you're really a salesperson. What you're selling is yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay yourself attached to an idea. Mm-hmm. But the sales, the glib sales talk is what counts for those, obviously, for those people who are, who are listening to the pitch. Whereas I think it should be the record of the filmmaker. Right. Okay. So do you do you largely self-fund your films? Is that essentially how you've been able oh, to Oh, at this point, there's no alternative. There's no alternative. There's no alternative. You know, um, uh, at, at my age, no one's, going, no one's going to fund me. Even with the history of the films that you've made? No, no. Goodness. No one knows the history of the films I've made. You know, every, everyone I talk to now is, is 50 years my junior. Right. So they would never, never know my film. Well, I guess in some ways that is an upside, I suppose, to the filmmaking world, the sense that anyone can take a camera and document something. And so yeah. we have yeah. we have newsreel footage that we wouldn't have. We have instant access to violent events around the world and so on and so on. But I guess with you know every opportunity com- comes liabilities as well. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I... Do, I do do you think it's a good day for young filmmakers? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're not out to make money, I would say. It's a good right. Day. Right. If they're out to make a film, or yes, or to do something, then it's it's a great time. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so this is a big question, you know. And I think earlier, before we turned the recorder on, you 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 referred to it as you know some of the questions that I had sent you as being metaphysical. But I'm kind of interested on your take on human nature a little bit. Working in myself, working in development. Um, you know, getting on the ground, my uh, sort of preferred country of focus is Cambodia. I'm mm. kind of in love with Southeast Asia on, on mm. a whole lot of levels, but my wife and I have spent time there together. She's taught in Singapore, et cetera. And so, what do, I mean, you've been documenting human nature, it seems to me, or, or maybe you've been documenting um, reactions, you know, of, of, of humans to their environment and mm. to things that are going on around. What what do you take away from that, Peter? I mean, aren't aren't shouldn't you be writing a book? <laughs> well, I actually I actually am. Oh, good. Oh, excellent. It's called Outtakes. Outtakes, very nice. Yeah. I love it. And it's about uh, I mean, it's the story surrounding particular things. I sent you a couple of ex- oh, did I send you more than one example? Or did I, did I, I send... think you sent me one example. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I, I have maybe four or five of those. Um, I'm now going to go back to 1967, mm. and I, I made two. a film in London then called Anatomy of Violence. Okay, and this uh, uh, this was about something called the 
Dialectics of Liberation and the Demystification of Violence, which was organized by R.D. Lang. And uh, there were, were Allen Ginsberg, Herbert mm. Marcuse. Uh, Marcuse. That, yeah. You're not going to believe me, but that's the name that popped to mind. One Dimensional Man. It's one of my favorite books. Oh, he's a great man. He was a great man. Uh, Stokely Carmichael and uh, many, many like that. And I made, I made this film called Anatomy of Violence. Okay. Um, so uh, a, a few years ago, I was contacted by someone who wanted to, who wanted to develop a drama out of, out of that material, which is fine by me. But this sort of gave me the idea of, of looking again at that material. I had, I had all the outtakes for that. Uh, and since then, what I've been trying to do is track down people who attended Okay. Hmm. Most, of the, most of the prime speakers, I think maybe all of them, no, not all of them, uh, most of the prime speakers are, are now dead. Okay. But uh, people who attended, I've, I've, I've done about a, a dozen interviews. Oh, wow. And, and what I did was, was try to get their perspective on what came up sure. at, at the dialectics at that time and how the world has shaped itself. Because well, the issues then were, were the environment, they were racism, they were war. Sure. And those things are eternal. <laughs> yeah, um, indeed. And so, w yes, this is a revisitation. And, you know, from my own point of view, uh, everything that came up then, every subject that came up then, is now in worse shape than it was then. Mm. Uh, so, so, so in a sense, we haven't learned from the past. Then. No, exactly, exactly. No, no human. That's human nature. I mean, they, I mean, learn from the past. It, I mean, human nature is so stupid. Basically, you know, it's so unable to see that cooperation is essential for the survival of the human race. Hmm. But immediate issues like making extra dollars override that mm -hmm. and that to me is, is the most stupid thing that can happen i you know uh, when i think of of the situation of pollution mm -hmm. it seems to me that species successful successful species end up dying in their own refuse being drowned in their own refuse mm -hmm. and i think that's what's happening with humankind i have no hope for humankind I mean, if it lasts to the end of the century uh, in anything like a halfway decent situation, I'll be, uh, if, I, <laughs> if I were around, I'd be surprised, but I'm not going to be around. No. So do you think, Peter, that your sort of, uh, your, your harsh or your stark realism, or some probably would call it cynicism, I mean, did you lose your hope somewhere along the way? Or, or would you say that as a, as a filmmaker, as a documentarian, you've always sort of had this opportunity to peer into, you know, the dark side of human nature? Well, no, I did. I, I'm, I'm a kind of optimist. I, um, I'm, I'm a social democrat. Uh, and it seems to me that's the best of all known possible systems mm. anyway hmm. and people have left that they, they seem certainly certainly in North America they don't regard that that system seriously and even in some ways consider it a threat right but to me it seems the most decent system of all um 
Well, you say you mentioned, you know, so why is it so, or it's, you know, human beings are unable to see that it, that cooperation is essential, you know? Yeah. And I think my work uh, as a development worker, as I, t I teach in international development at Humber College here in, yeah. in, in Toronto, and, and it's the same thing. I, I sort of, I've, I've read a lot of the work of Emmanuel Levinas and a French philosopher who, you know, says that the face speaks and, you know, what it says is, uh, thou shalt not kill. And so this Jewish philosopher who lost his family to Auschwitz, who said, what we have to do is we have to recognize um, this humanness, this human being in somebody else's face, immediately presuppose mm. the other, and then we can, you know, his opening line to his book, Totality and Infinity, is, is essentially, you know, all religion, all philosophies failed. Now what do we do? <laughs> mm. Mm. Right? We're completely screwed. Now how do we, how do we address this? How, in, others, in another way, to say it, I guess, how do we cooperate? Yeah. It's really quite remarkable so are you saying you don't see that as an end for us as a people well, I mean, everywhere that people do on a, on, a, on, a, on a small scale they do cooperate and they cooperate very successfully but on national levels mm. it's very difficult it seems very difficult mm -hmm. I mean you know I think, I think uh, capitalism is, is, is a killer system I mm. think for the human race, hmm. uh, but I don't. But it's so tremendously strong. I, I mean, I, I think sometimes about the seventies. I, I lived in the United States at that time, and in the seventies, okay, they stopped the the, the anti-war movement was, you can call it successful, and then, and then the right wing got smart. Right. They bought up the media. And you know, I, I mean, I go, I go to, I, I go, go to the airport, and uh, I look at the books, the, the magazines available there, and there is nothing that's political mm. anymore. Mm. Nothing. So. <laughs> So, 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 talk about that a second, Peter, because that really interests me. You sound like an, a, a professor of mine from years ago, quite, quite the Marxist, Arnold Atwaru, who, who talked about this sort of, you know, what we're sure it looks like we're reading, you know, when you go to the bookstore, lots of books to buy, but yeah. look at what you're being offered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, are you sort of saying there, a sort of, there's that presupposition of a uh, right wing's form of censorship, or is that is that sort of where you're heading with that? No, censorship. Mm. No, they were just... Uh, they... Certainly in, in television, you can see that they, they... They now monopolize ideas on television. You, you look at what happened at PBS, for example. Mm -hmm. um, well, y your perspective may not be as long as mine, but you could get things on PBS at one time that, hmm. were, that were critical of, of the mm. United States. No, I you see. can no longer yep. do that. Hmm. Okay, you cannot criticize the United States uh, pretty much in any form whatsoever. Um, uh, so, well... And, 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 and Peter, isn't it true that some of those kind of sort of rules and regulations, they're never really written down, no, they right? No, written down. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll give you one, another example. I, I did a, a, a documentary on David Suzuki. And at one point in the documentary, I, uh, I, this was for CBC, hmm. okay, I showed the clear cut. And when we came to show this biography to the two CBC producers, 
They said, you can't show that. That's propaganda. Hmm. I mean, the, the irony was that that footage had come from CBC. Right. Okay. But then I thought, okay, the, what these people are seeing is the threat to their jobs. Right. When the people who are buying advertising on CBC see something like that, okay, the reaction comes, comes about. So in a national broadcaster like CBC, having, having commercials is death. Absolutely. Commercializing CBC, sorry, commercializing CBC is the death of CBC, is that? I'm sorry? Do, sorry, what did you just say? I, I, I said uh, having, having commercials on CBC. Oh, having commercials. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's deadly. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, right, because you immediately it's, it's we've built got in, compromise, built-in censorship, built-in censorship. Yeah, and I think yeah, I I mean I I would have to I have to agree with you. I I, I mean I think that stuff that ideological sort of uh, those inklings that 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 well they're not even inklings they just become ways of life. You know I'm not a I'm not a determinist so I'm not crazy about using the phrase it's part of your DNA but it 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 almost becomes a part of who we are. Yes. To the decisions we make are driven by these these what uh, become just sort of bits and pieces of how we behave each and every day. Yes. Which is what's so dangerous about them, it seems to me. Yes. Well, we live in, I mean, we don't live in a democracy anymore. We live in a, in a capitalist society. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think you can, can have a capitalist democracy. I don't think so. Right. So when you see, so so I'm 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 going to guess that you're not on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> never. <laughs> that you're absolutely never. <laughs> that you're not on Twitter or no. anything along those lines, and and probably don't spend a great deal of time on the internet. Maybe reading news and doing research and so on. Yeah. But do you think, Peter, that that d- does that make you hopeful in any sense? So this idea that you know the ubiquity of it, the you know I can go and make a movie and post it for anyone to see, and and so on. Yeah. Um, I, I'm impressed by, not, not simply because I have children and grandchildren, right. but I'm impressed in how smart the next generation, generation after that, is. Mm. These, these are super smart kids. Um, I'm glad I'm not competing with them at university level. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. Very encouraging, very affirming. I love it. At the same time, what they're up against is enormous. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think it's literally, well, I wouldn't say it's a toss-up because I think the odds are so much against them, I don't think they will succeed. Mm. But I think they're good enough to try right, and to have some success. And... Another good thing is, I mean, both both my sons-in-law work for uh, a company called Stripe. It's a, it's a, a cyber company. I, mean, I, I I tried to get them to tell me what it does. <laughs> then sit down for 15 minutes and tell me, and I still don't know. What still don't know what's going on, no. yeah. But apparently it's very highly thought of. Right. Okay. And, uh, I mean... I, no, I'm not, I was going to say something, but I can't say it openly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
hey, we don't we don't have commercials on our podcast here, Peter, so we can say whatever the no, hell we but, want. Uh, I mean, this is, this is something that was get to- told to me in, in confidence. I can't believe. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Don't betray your confidence with your family. That's not a good idea. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm not quite sure where it's going with it. Yeah, no, I just, I just wonder if, if, you know, that, that sort of brings you a little bit of hope, you know, the, the fact that, you know, uh, oh, oh, yes, I know what I was going to say. Yeah. That, uh, their motivation, although mm. they make extremely good salaries. Right. Okay. The motivation is not primarily money, I would, I would say. Ah. Uh, okay. You, the right. youth, it's you would say the. form of accomplishment. Hmm. Yeah. So you would say the youth of today are more interested in accomplishing something I than making so, money. I think so, yeah. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the best, let's call them the best of them. Yeah. So what what was it? Let's go back. Believe it or not, we're, we're coming sort of to the end of our, our, oh, uh, good, our good, time. Good. But, yeah. but, but tell, tell me about, you know, so you're the apprentice editor. What was it that drew you in to say, I got to pick up a camera? And was it was it a story? Was it your, were you outraged about something that wasn't being told? Yeah, um, yeah no, I'm really interested. I mean, Peter, this is a life of, of, of I mean, talk about a commitment here to, to telling stories. I think it's brilliant. I think it's wonderful. And, and, and your, and I hope your story, uh, your book outtake sells wildly, <laughs> flies <laughs> off the if shelves. I, if I ever finish it, no, I don't <laughs> even publish some, some articles so far. Anyway, uh, going back, I, mm-hmm. uh, I had, I had been an, uh, an editor, and I went to Sweden, and I, I worked in Swedish television. It was in really in the early years of Swedish television. Mm-hmm. And I, I worked as an editor there for a while, but, and then um, I thought I would like to make my own, my own film. So I made, a, I made a documentary. I made a series of documentaries for them, uh, uh, um, many of them about England okay. at that time. And that was that was what started me. Yeah. And was it the, and was it the new technology that drew you in? Was it? Are, I mean, are you a are you? Uh, I mean, are you a storyteller by by nature, sort of, or was yeah, it? Yeah, I think. Uh, I'm, uh, I guess I'm just trying to get no, to that I, sort of that 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 moment that you that almost like that aha moment. I mean, rarely are they aha moments. It's more of a process, you know. Yeah. Change takes time, you know, incremental change and so on. But, but, um, well, uh, yeah. no, I'm just, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the Vietnam War. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to grab a camera and I'm going to start documenting this anti-war movement. Oh, no, I mean, it's, it's just like the apartheid, my, my apartheid series. It was an involvement in a particular issue. Mm. Um, but, uh, uh, <clears throat> but involvement as, as observer and commentator, okay? Mm. Not, 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 not in the sense in, in, in the front line, although you did right. get, you did accidentally get it. Or, no, sure. not accidentally, but you did have to put yourself in the front line. Sometimes. Sure, sure. <clears throat> but I think that it, it, it's, I don't know, it's my way of in, interp- interpreting humanity or humankind. Mm. Um, in some ways, I think it's a substitute for living. Mm. Uh, hmm. uh, I certainly know that when I'm, you know, when I'm, as I am here now at home editing. Yes. I'm not engaging with other human beings. Right. <laughs> yeah. Working, work, you're not, do you work digitally now? I'm sorry? Do you work digitally now? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be kind of foolish not to, wouldn't it? Yes. 
Well, it's, it's impossible not to. It's it's really it's an, and maybe and maybe it's a way to sort of kind of wrap it up here, Peter. But it's mm. kind of interesting that here you are making all these films that other people are watching, that other people or not are watching as the case may be, yeah. or not watching as the case may be. But you know, I think I think that there, I think there's room to be hopeful in the sense that you've created this incredible library and archive of, of footage that that people can access. That you know, I really do believe in incrementalism, Peter. The little things make a big difference that these mm -hmm. moments that these stories that these films could actually catapult somebody into you know into a new field into a new direction into to to new academic work you know creating artworks mm -hmm. of their own and so on and so yeah. i guess i'm i'm uh, i believe in the macro change but i also believe in that micro sort of level as well yeah. you know working working kind of from the ground up but i find it kind of ironic that you know you you, you mentioned that you thought filmmaking was kind of a way of you know, not getting involved, almost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet your films, when you look at your library, they're all about getting involved. That would That's pretty much what I would argue, anyway. Yeah, but again, it is a, it is a, a certain distance. So you, mm. you do have to distance yourself somehow. Yeah. Well, Peter, Peter Davis of Vion Films, I hope I pronounced it properly <laughs> that time, Vion Films. It's uh, V-I-L-L-O-N films.ca you've got to check this uh, library out peter thank you uh so much for joining us today i really appreciated uh, your time and your effort good luck with the book and um yeah it's been a pleasure talking to you today thanks thanks for joining us thanks for giving me the time